Did Liberty University mishandle Title IX sexual assault allegations? The former spokesman of Liberty University says it did, and he joins me today on a special edition of The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And joining me today is Scott Lamb, the former vice president of communications at Liberty University. He's also the plaintiff in a federal lawsuit. That lawsuit accuses Liberty of firing Lamb in retaliation after he objected to the school's handling or mishandling of sexual assault cases. So Scott, I know this has been a crazy week and you've been talking to a lot of media, but I really appreciate you taking the time and talking with me, so thank you. It's my pleasure. After all, you and I know, even if the world doesn't know, that we have had lots of communications about these very things, um, the specifically to the Title IX uh, for all of 2021. And uh, so I can't think of anybody, anybody better to be on the, uh, the podcast with and to, to you who is really um, no flatter intended, but literally has pushed the uh, truth uh, into the executive suite of Liberty University. And so I'd just like to say publicly, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Oh, well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. And, and let me just say, I mean, you're in a really difficult position right now because you're, um, you're not popular with either side, I think, of this Title IX allegations and this controversy. You have Liberty that obviously is upset with you because you filed a lawsuit. You're calling them out. You have the Jane Doe's in that lawsuit saying, hey, you were on the enemy's side for a long time. Why didn't you come to our rescue a long time ago? Um, I'm just going to let you up front address that. How do you respond to that? Well, I don't know the Jane Doe's personally, except for the one that I know through you, uh, who I've met personally through you. Um, and so what I'd, I'd like to say to that is that uh, I'm going to have to let my actions toward them speak louder than words, or not really toward them, but really toward their their legal counsel. To be honest, I don't even know how many of them are actually part of the lawsuit and part of, you know, uh, uh, under uh, legal counsel with uh, Jack Larkin. To those who are, just I would just say I'm in cons- consultation with Jack Larkin. I'll be um, uh, giving him things that I know, you know, telling him things that I know. I'd be willing to go and testify in a court of law if it goes to that. Um, so I'm going to have to let my actions speak louder than words. I know that I have a lot to offer them um, that, um, that can be beneficial to them, not just legally, but hopefully, um, look, when, when an institution isn't acting right, as I'm feeling this myself, you you start to think to yourself, am I, am I crazy? You know, I mean, is it, is it just me or, I mean, are they really acting this way? And you wake up every morning thinking, maybe I'm just making something of this. And, and I don't know if they feel that way, but I know I feel that way, uh, sometimes over last year. I think that I can uh, bring from the insider perspective um, that no, if you ever felt there was stonewalling, I can I can validate that from the inside. Um, now the institution, of course, it, you know, is not going to be a, a fan of mine. Uh, I, I should say this: the institution, um, the leadership of the institution, the ex- some some of the executive leadership of the institution, some of the board of trustee members, some of the executive committee members. I'd like to state once again that I am the best friend that Liberty University has right now. Uh, I am pushing this forward because I am a friend of Liberty University for what it could be, not not what it is with this this situation, not what it has been over the last year to to 20 years. I'm the best friend that they have. So to the institution and to the alumni, to those who remember the the dream that was Liberty University at its best, uh, I'm the best friend that Liberty has right now. And I invite others to join in to those who are uh, victims of sexual assault and that have either joined the lawsuit or perhaps they haven't joined the lawsuit, but they still are victims and they're out there. Um, you know, I, I, uh, 
I cannot apologize on behalf of the institution. I'm not in the institution anymore. I longed to have apologized. I longed to have had the executive leadership say, hey, here's, here's a strategy. Tell our insurance company to just go park it, okay? We've got the funds. We can take care of this. Insurance company, go park it. Executive counsel, you know, I mean, we're not dismissing you, but, you know, we're not going to follow your counsel. We've got some explaining to do here. We've got some forthrightness to do here. We've got some um, repentance uh, on, on this particular issue. Now, my lawsuit goes into more than just Title IX issues, um, but on that issue alone, I mean, some of the other things, there's maybe not necessarily a victim. I mean, there's there's uh, there's shameful things done, you know, um, and there's unethical things done, but there isn't a clear victim. And that's that's where this whole issue became uh, so burning in my heart, because there actually are people with a narrative of pain. And um, to the extent that I could not possibly, it did not seem like I could move the institution towards what I thought was a, a Rachel Denhollander actually getting transparent here, uh, which I thought we were going to be doing, and then I found out we weren't, um, then, uh, then the pain grew into me. I got one daughter, five sons, either way, whether a son or a daughter gets sexually assaulted, but you know, I, I picture that as my daughter, happening to my daughter. There's nothing I would do um, other than just try to get this moved forward. And um, if something like that ever happened to my daughter, and I, I, on behalf of the fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers that, that have daughters, and on behalf of the daughters themselves who had the, these things happen to them, you know, uh, the easiest way to become a millionaire is to become a vice president at Liberty University and stay there for 20 years. You don't have to stay there for 20 years, to be honest, but, um, I, you know, I'm 47 could have retired a multimillionaire with the salary and benefits and package and the tuition. I mean, it's amazing how much money you can accumulate probably if you don't have to pay tuition for your kids and you get paid a nice salary. I was only there since 2018. I have not, before that I was a bivocational pastor. As recently as 2008, I made $30,000 a year. Um, I cleaned up section eight uh, property uh, for um, a landlord in St. Louis, $10 cash on the barrel to put food on the table for my family. I don't come from anything and I'll go back to nothing in, in terms of money, but you got to do what's right. The easiest way to enrich yourself is to not get fired from a vice presidency of Liberty University. Now, Liberty University will say that you know, I was fired with cause, job performance. Let me talk to you about that. Yeah, because in your lawsuit, you talk about this October 4th meeting. You say that meeting became heated, and it was because you were raising issues about the Title IX uh, allegations about, about the misconduct. They say, and let me just read their Liberty's response. They say, we would like to make it clear that Lamb's advice on how to publicly respond to the Jane Doe Title IX lawsuit played no role in his termination. His termination was the result of a meeting about a recent review uh, of the area under his management. So... Scott, I, I want to know what happened in that October 4th meeting. A half-truth is still alive. You know, when you, you get called into a meeting um, and there's there's a reason why it's called, and then there's the real reason why it's called. And and so the point is, there was two, two issues uh, that were brought forth. Both of those issues, actually, I have documentary evidence to show that, guys, those aren't actually issues. The president himself is who I report to, not this internal audit, uh, auditing uh, uh uh, a committee. And so the internal audit was bringing some issues of concern about some memes that the Standing for Freedom Center had put out. Maybe there's, these are getting close to violating 501c3 law. Okay. The only problem is <clears throat> the president, uh, as it came out in Politico yesterday, the president in a recorded phone call I had from July, 
and and Liberty is spinning this one as well, saying, "Oh, he didn't mean that nothing by." It. Look, I'm I'm the I'm the the uh, senior vice president in charge of the Standing for Freedom Center. He's the president. When the president calls me and has a conversation, the purpose of which is to um, talk about the past, present, and future of the Standing for Freedom Center. What kind of value has it had? Is it having, and will it have? And when he makes it clear that the value is found in getting the quote, the right people elected. Well, sir, we don't really do that. We're a 501c3, not a 501c4. And he goes, hey, look, there's ways to, there's ways, right. I, I know there's things you can do as 501c3 to influence elections. I get that. We think we're already doing a lot of those, but he literally was talking about going out, knocking on doors and those kinds of things. Did now, that come up at the October 4th meeting? Yes, that that's that, that that's where it got contentious because okay. he's taking the, he's taking the, the audit, you know, the, these young guys who were, who did the audit, looked at all mm -hmm. of our, our media, social media, and had some room for that, you know, hey, here's some concern. You might want to get a little bit away from the line of crossing the 501c3. Or there was a few that they thought actually did cross the 501c3. Mm -hmm. All right, fine. We can we can dicker about that kind of stuff. But I said, well, the problem, the, the elephant in the room here is that you guys think that we've done bad 501c3 things, violations. But the president himself, as recently as July, told me that the main thing is to become, for Liberty University, the center needs to become what Ralph Reed what does Ralph Reed do, guys? He gets people elected as a 501c4, right? Mm -hmm. He's a Christian guy who knows how to get people elected, and he's really good at it. He, he said the center needs to be uh, known throughout the nation uh, for actually delivering on what Ralph Reed uh, promises but sometimes doesn't deliver on. And what, what does that mean, Julie? Now, you back it up even further. After the uh, GOP primary here in Virginia, he told me, now he denies it, and this is when he started calling me a liar in the meeting, that he, he told me with a smile on his face, but in, in the office of the president, okay, to his senior vice president, well, the value of the center to me is going to be found in November. I mean, like here in Virginia, we've got a mm -hmm. gubernatorial election. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Well, does he mean... What, what does he mean by that? Yeah, well, I mean, how does the value of the center have anything to do with the gubernatorial election in Virginia? Last August, when he got in here, uh, he took me aside. I didn't know him hardly at all. didn't know his personality. But you listen really well to your boss. That's part of, you know, being able mm -hmm. to hold down a job is to try to figure out how your boss communicates. He, again, with a smile, said it on his face. But he goes, you know, I don't know much about the center, but I do know that there's an election in November, speaking of Biden versus Trump. And he goes, uh, I guess we'll try to figure out the value of the center to the university. You know, uh, it depends on who wins that election, you know, again, with a smile. But, you know, when you're in the office of the president, you don't like just assume that everything is a joke. You know, people mm -hmm. can say things with a smile and actually mean it. Well, the problem is we don't do campaigns and elections. And he never told me, you know, to go out and actively violate 501c4. He just told me that the value of the center is found in getting the right people elected and fill in the blanks as to what he wanted me to do. I'm not sure. So did you discuss the Title IX uh, mishandling as well? Tell, tell me about that. The thing is, I, I've been discussing that all spring, like this 501c3 dance, mm -hmm. small potatoes. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that just keeps on pushing back against uh, uh, th that kind of idea. And, hey, we're doing a good job over here. But the Title IX is, is where it all gets, you know, because you and I had all that experience in the spring with uh, Jane, uh, Jane Doe, Kathy, and and mm -hmm. and getting her her documents and 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 why was that such a hassle? And I, I went into a, a lengthy uh, discussion with that here on uh, our local ABC affiliate. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it was it was painful to for me. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that as a victim. I'm just saying, in in, in, in a situation within the uh, uh, institution, 
I'm just a comms guy. If I don't know the facts, I can't communicate about something or I can't know, well, this is something we, we can't communicate about yet or I don't know. I've got to get the facts. And to even get those documents to uh, the Jane Doe uh, took two meetings and then a third meeting to get them to her. And this was her own personnel file. This was a woman who said that she was gang raped in 2005. She's just trying to get her own personnel file from Liberty, which, you know, implicated the university in, in knowing about the crime and everything. And you're saying they didn't want to release it. What I'm saying is we did release something to her, at, at, mm -hmm. but it, I, I, I do not believe, humanly speaking, that she would even know about that other pile of documents if it wasn't for me, having called the meeting and found out that there's other documents she doesn't have. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a recording of that meeting. I have a recording of the second meeting, but um, I came to an awareness that she didn't have all the documents. And I said, wait, so she doesn't even have these? Is she entitled to these? Yeah, but she hasn't asked for them. <laughs> I'm like... I mean, this is going back to 2005, and this, mm. this lady has been at our doorstep, apparently. The only reason why she's at my doorstep is because on the media and Julie Royce has showed up. See, that's where I'm saying um, I wouldn't have even known about her had it not been her working with you or you working mm -hmm. with her. And, uh, and so that actually was the catalyst for me actually having my eyes open to the, to the idea. Look, I, I, I was under no um, a thought that there hasn't been sexual assault. Uh, and I look at the records, and it looks mm -hmm. like, well, we've had some and things. Um, I worked under the assumption that the Clary records were completely accurate, and maybe they have been in a legalistic sort of way. I, I, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I don't have Clary Act, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, uh, expertise here. Um, I'm not accusing the university of fudging the Clary records. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. You and I were involved in a conversation with the general counsel. It was off the record. I was in his office sitting right next to him. And, um, you know, I just amazed at the dance that we were going through to basically say that she was not raped on campus, which technically, as you know, from that conversation was true <laughs> because at that time, right off the tunnel, on which she was grabbed. So she was grabbed and that was a, that was a crime, but the rape happened off, you know, into the wooded area. Okay. Let me just give some background. Cause we're, we're getting into again, this 2005, uh, gang rape that was reported, uh, yet Liberty says was never reported. In fact, I don't think they've ever admitted that it was reported to them. I reported this story in, in June, uh, this, this victim came to me uh, actually, she came to me months before. It took months and months to, to to research this story, but they were Liberty was actually fined by uh, Clary by the Department of Education for uh, saying for not reporting this properly. So, so there was some violations there, but they'll never admit, or at least haven't admitted to this point, that she was actually gang raped, and like you said, not admitting it happened on campus. Um, you were my point person for that for that story. And you helped coordinate some things. I can't speak to any off-the-record conversations I had. You can say, what, from your perspective, what happened behind the scenes, because you're at liberty to do that, but, but I'm not. So I'm just curious, behind the scenes, what, what was the attitude towards this woman, who now, more than 15 years after the fact, is raising, I still never have even been acknowledged by the university that I was raped, no kind of, you know, they, they even provided counseling to her. She says under a, a false pretenses, she thought she was going to a professional counselor. She's ending up going to the wife of a VP 
you know, at Liberty University. I mean, none of this has ever been acknowledged by the school or done anything. I'm bringing this case to you with all sorts of documentation. What is the attitude of the school to this victim who, again, 15 years later, still traumatized? So you're an undercover drug dealer, and you're really trying not to let it be known that you're actually a police officer. So somebody's got a suspicion that maybe you are, all right, that maybe you're not fully with them. And other people are, you know, they're kind of naive. So, you know, with them, you get a lot of juice and others, you don't get as much juice. I'm walking around. I didn't consider myself a mole or undercover police officer, but I'm going into rooms. Some people are more naive than others. And when I'm asking questions, some people were more, you know, just naturally by God's, you know, uh, how the God may have just more or, or whatever, maybe sin, but I'm more guarded, you know, immediately with them. I got nothing, you know, but with others, you know, there's a more uh, transparency. I will say that my colleagues, um, uh, you know, in meetings like that, they they never spoke about those things except with with an empathy of these things were terrible. I mean, these these things that happened. So I, I never heard anybody say, you know, we don't believe uh, these things to be true. Uh, what's mm-hmm. being said now? What? But however, um, there's always more to the story that we were in the meetings with, and and so can I have that information? Okay. Well, you say you, you believe that something happened, right. But then there's, there's more factual information. Can I have that? And that's where the hostility came in, in in some of these meetings where the antagonism came in. Like, what do you need to know that for? But are you saying David Corey, Jerry Prevo, they believed the victims, they believed this happened. Here's the thing. Um, Prevo, acting president Prevo is not in these meetings. All right. Uh, Perhaps Jerry Falwell Jr. might've been in some of these meetings, but Acting President Prevo is doing something different in his, mm-hmm. you know, leadership style. So he was not president in those, in, in those meetings. I addressed to him about the Title IX issue one on one as it related to the Baker Tilly investigation. That, sir, I don't think that they're actually investigating uh, that they're interviewing with uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the victims. I I get that sense. I've got people. You, for one, I got people asking me, reporters asking me, and and I I don't think that they're actually in, in, and that's going to be bad. So I sent memos. Um, I sent, uh, you know, uh, emails, I talked, I text, and it just wasn't with Prevo, it was with other executives. And um, the pushback wasn't so much, well, we don't believe them. The pushback was in March, uh, you know, I'm in a meeting with some uh, executives, and one of them says, you know, the thing about that Baker Tilly, we just need to get that thing done. It's It's gone on long enough. This is in March, mm-hmm. and it's gone on long enough. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. And I said, but they they haven't actually, from what I'm hearing, they haven't actually interviewed any of the uh, the sexual assault uh, uh, cases yet. Well, you know, it's just it's just gone on long enough. Well, the peer pressure internally then is, what's wrong with Lamb that doesn't realize? Oh yes, it's gone on long enough. Spent enough money, done enough things. I didn't think it had, and so mm-hmm. I I conveyed that even to uh, the, the acting president Prevo on one meeting, uh, one uh, you know, in passing uh, conversation I had. Sir, I've been interviewing with Baker Tilly, you know, upwards at that point, about 15 hours, I think 10, 15 hours. And they're asking a lot of questions um, that go beyond Jerry Falwell Jr. And, uh, you know, asking things even mm-hmm. about your tenure. And I'm honest with them. And uh, and I'm kind of concerned, you know, chuckle, chuckle. I'm kind of concerned about my job because mm-hmm. they're asking me questions about you and and even your um, your oversight of junior or lack mm-hmm. thereof. And I've told them what I thought. And uh, so that's how candid I have been with these people. What did you think? Uh, he said, well, you just continue being honest. You Nothing's going to happen. You just mm-hmm. be honest. You tell them what mm-hmm. you think. 
okay, I will, you know, and because the documents said, don't worry about anybody's reputation, you know, which I think is the basis of actually getting to truth, you know, don't worry about the reputation of the school, it, it past, present leadership, board members, executive leadership, I took them at their word, I was told by uh, former employees, not to take them at their word. They said, this is a witch hunt. Mm -hmm. You will be, you'll be terminated or you will accidentally get other people terminated. Uh, they mm -hmm. said, you know, look, truth is important, but you know, mm -hmm. you might want to self-preserve. Well, I didn't want to self-preserve. So starting in January and, and, and February, um, I gave them the interview sessions and then ancillary to that, um, I began hearing from journalists things as gangster capitalism, Julie Royce and others were, were hitting us with questions that were obviously coming mm -hmm. from uh, victims. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, at first I thought, well, uh, Baker Tilly's, you know, they're going to answer these questions in the report. Mm -hmm. And then, and then there was one uh, Politico uh, wrote an article, I think April, at the beginning of April. And they actually said, um, we're hearing reports that, you know, not all the victims have been, uh, the victims haven't been interviewed or something to that effect. Right. And I was, I was given an email uh, from the general counsel uh, with the Baker Tilly lawyer on it that said, mm -hmm. Hey, look, you need to respond to political on these three things. And mm -hmm. one of them was about the timeline. They said, here's what you need to tell them. And it was Baker Tilly is investigating all matters and, and all people that enter the port. But, you know, it was, it was saying, no, we have and we are. Mm -hmm. And I on that email immediately, I remember it was on a Saturday afternoon. I was in the, par uh, the parking lot of Target, you know, with my, my thumbs trying to get the email out. Mm -hmm. But I said, this isn't true. I'm, first of all, I'm not a spokesperson for Baker Tilly. I'm not going to run PR for them. Uh, but second of all, um, it's not true because I'm getting reports that they have not been contacted. If, if, if that's wrong, tell me. And who's asking this? Who specifically? This is an email trail with me and the general counsel of Liberty university and uh, David the, Corey. Uh, yes. And, and the lead interviewer for uh, the local boots on the ground lawyer who was hired mm -hmm. by Baker Tilly to interview and who had interviewed me. Yeah. And uh, so I'm in a, an interesting position. Not only am I getting interviewed, but I'm also on these emails with external right. counsel Right. And so David Corey is saying to you, say that the Baker Tilly investigation is interviewing these women. I know Jane Doe, two on the lawsuit that was brought by the Jane Doe's. Now it's up to 22 women accusing the school of mishandling their Title IX cases. I know that she contacted Baker Tilly through the, the public portal. She told me she has never been contacted by Baker Tilly, has not had a single interview. And let's let's look at it. Baker Tilly is not a sexual, you know, allegations, a Title IX investigation. It's, it's a forensic, it's a uh, accounting forensic kind of firm. It has nothing to do with with this. It has no expertise in this area. Well, so that was an, a, a, just one anecdote. And, and that was just one that I happen to have an email. I don't have it with me. But yeah, it was point number three. You know, you need to pick, hit back at Politico. They need to correct that because all people that have entered the portal have been or will be, you know, uh, in, uh, interviewed. But you and I know, as of today, they haven't. So did that come up? Did this come up in that October 4th meeting? Well, no, the October 4th meeting was bang, bang, let's start screaming at Scott, shouting at Scott, telling him to shut up um, and calling him a liar. He told me to shut up five times, call me a liar several times, uh, which I had. When you say called you a liar, you're talking Jerry Prevo called you a liar? Yes, which I had on my phone evidence of him not only that I wasn't lying, but that he was lying. Mm -hmm. I couldn't pull it up because we had been told as we entered the room, uh, everybody needs to turn their phones off. I've been there three years and nine months. I've never once been told that to have the phones yeah. turned off. As I as we sit down, everybody needs to turn their phones off. All right. So, so they 
that that October 4th meeting dealt with the 501c3 status, the Falkirk Center, getting people elected, that um, the investigation that it wasn't. Well, I brought the investigation to the table because as okay. soon as he uh, as soon as he and why I said, well, sir, look, you're telling us that we're in trouble for doing some memes. You told me to help get people elected. I never did that. I said, you told me to help make sure that Glenn Youngkin, I've never said that, you know, and so that's when he started calling me a liar. And I, I can be called a lot of things and have patience for it, but a liar, I, I'm just, I'm not going to put up with that. So I said, yeah. sir, not only am I not lying, but I have evidence. Well, I couldn't pull it up on my phone right then and there. I, my phone was shut down and stuff like that. And and he he said, do you hear this? He is calling the president of this university a liar. And I'm thinking, well, if the shoe fits, wear it. You know, I mean, <laughs> literally, I have the evidence. What do you have? As recently as July, he told me that my department was running on all cylinders. Great job on a recording. Great job. Stellar performance. Mm -hmm. Keep it up. All this kinds of stuff. He had just authorized Ryan Helfenbein and I to launch a, at least for a one-year contract, a live national daily 28-minute radio program, like on Trust Your Radio, okay? And said, that's a fantastic job. I can't wait to hear it. Tell him that it was my idea to get it started. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Oh, okay. So was there anything specifically about the Title IX, though? I guess what that's that's what I'm wondering. So that's when I held up, uh, when he threatened the job, that's mm -hmm. when I held up the whistleblower retaliation form that I had get, been given in January. I've been mm -hmm. walking around within my pocket, basically, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the last few months. And I said, sir, uh, you, you really need to back down right now, because even what you're saying about, you know, uh, turning your resignation, and, and I, you know, I'm the president, I could fire you. Just using that language here with me as I'm bringing up concerns about the institution, concerns I brought up to Baker Tilly, um, you, 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 you're doing something wrong just by threatening my job. And, uh, and he's like, I've never signed that. I'm like, sir, you, you signed it, it's right here. You know, he looked at it, well, okay, okay, you know. But um, mm. I, I said, you know, you need to just deescalate. I said, we need to get the general counsel in here. The general counsel came in and, uh, and, and I said, general counsel, here's the deal. You know, he's threatened my job. He's threatened mm -hmm. to fire me. And I said, right now, I, I believe I have a case of whistleblower protection, you know, and we're talking about things. Mm -hmm. I said, there's something going on here at the university that is either incompetence or nefarious. It's either incompetently telling the world that we're doing something and we're not, or it's actually really purposely doing that. Each man and woman at executive leadership uh, will stand before God as to whether they were incompetently or purposely trying to cover it up, um, you know, and I'm not alleging that any one particular person was this way or that way. I'm just saying that the collective system as a whole, some, you know, just think, well, eventually the truth will come out, you know, and uh, some actually perhaps are are working with external counsel and the insurance company uh, to have a, a, a plan for basically mitigating the risk to lessening the risk of the payout. Uh, because I think some of those people actually know, I think some things happened. So I think they actually know things happened. But look, we got $2.3 in the bank. We know how to take care of these things. So there's no, from your perspective, the women haven't been interviewed. Uh, the, the allegations have not been looked into. Uh, the only effort that Liberty, from what I'm getting from you, the only effort that Liberty has made is to mitigate the damage to but that. That literally is what was told to me by the external counsel on the lawsuit. 
um, he heading into Friday morning, October 1st, when there was a speech that Prevo, Acting President Prevo, did give in, uh, from the stage of Convo in response to the, the uh, Teal Ribbon campaign. And essentially, I worked for seven hours through the night from 10 o'clock at night all the way to 530 in the morning to craft what turned into an eight-page memo that line by line by line took apart the, the planned script that our general counsel, in consultation with the external counsel, had given him. It was... Um, lacked empathy. It was patronizing. Um, it would have caused hurt. Um, it, it, one phrase after another would have just, it would have gone viral. You know, the, the, the victims would have taken it apart line by line, and it would have made those who are already righteously angry, just catastrophically angry, okay? And it would have taken those who were indifferent to this situation and actually made them activists, I believe. And I, and I said, look, We've waited this long to say something. I wish we hadn't. I'm 100% in favor of you saying something, but this speech, this plan, these planned remarks, not only lack the right tone and empathy, and 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 I'm not talking about uh, malarkey words that that mm -hmm. pretend like you have empathy. I'm saying real words. Um, I'm not an expert in this, and I had said, you know, look, we need to bring in like a Rachel Denhollander, people who deal with this all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and they can instruct where our, you know, collectively as an institution, we're not even using the right vocabulary, you know, and uh, and and through uh, not trying um, or just we haven't taken the time yet. I don't know what it is, but we need to bring in help at people that can help us to actually get our mind around it institutionally. I'm not saying nobody had their mind around it. But anyway, back to the point of that speech, um, worked all the way through the night, took it apart. And uh, and then one particular set of lines said, um, you know, once I once I heard about this lawsuit, I became very alarmed. Well, that that was like, what do you mean? Once you became aware of this lawsuit that happened in July, I mean, all the way back in August, there was political articles about our former first lady and things like that. There were Title IX implications on the first day of your office. Mm -hmm. But the script now, admittedly, he didn't use the script, you know, uh, but it was given to him and it was planned for him to say things extemporaneously. But he said um, in the script, it said, um, uh, once I found out about these things, I became very concerned and I hired a law firm to look into these things and get to the bottom of these things and, and give some recommendations. Now, you and I know that if we're sitting with 10,000 uh, 18, 20 year olds who are actively passing out teal ribbons, what that sounds like is Rachel Denhollander and Boz Tajikovan are coming to the rescue or they, they have been, they've been hired. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I know that it is because on that email is the external counsel. What I know is, well, first of all, I know it's not Baker Tilly. So what other law firm? I'm looking around. I mean, what other law firm is he talking about? Is he talking about the law firm on this email? The law firm on this email was hired in conjunction with our insurance company, Julie. Hmm. They're not looking into this. So I say that in the memo. And I, I just let it all hang out like this. This is a lie. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we can't say this. And uh, I, I wish it was true, but we can't say it. And so I send the, the, the memo. Um, I get I get a little bit of one response from uh, the, the Liberty side. He said, hey, you know, I'm going to talk to Prevo about that before Convo. And, and and he wound up just saying 60 seconds of something. It almost sounded like he had forgotten to say anything. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, he says 60 seconds. And at least it wasn't a grenade. I mean, it, it was a grenade to the hearts of those who were in pain. But at least it wasn't as, a, you know, uh, bad as the as the original script. Well, it wasn't lying outright. And who who crafted who crafted that? That'd be our general counsel uh, and uh, and his office, you know. Uh, so David Corey crafted. That I don't know who put the words together, but gen gen our general counsel put them out to the group email and mm -hmm. said, uh, you know, let's let's work on this. But here's you know here's a draft. It's been it's been looked over by external mm -hmm. counsel. I don't think they looked over it enough, not with, with my eyes. 
um, the external counsel. I think they were willing to, to let him say those things because, or maybe they were just busy. But they know that's not true. Well, here's what I'm saying. The following morning before about, uh, I don't know, half an hour before convo, mm -hmm. uh, then um, the external counsel. Now, she's one of the top, you know, number one ranked, as it says on our website, mm -hmm. litigators for higher ed Title IX lawsuits. OK, so mm -hmm. they got good counsel. OK, this is the one defending them against the Jane Doe lawsuit. Yes. Mm -hmm. And she goes, hey, look, uh, Scott has provided excellent al analysis. He is correct. And, and just to clarify, and I've got my colleague here, you know, we, we together need to clarify to, to you guys um, mm -hmm. at a point that Scott said, we're not here to look into the situation and see what happened to whom or by whom. That is not why we're here. That's an investigation, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, action. We are here to mitigate, uh, litigate and mitigate the risk to the university. Of course you are, you know, what idiot didn't know that, right? I mean, like, mm -hmm. and I don't hold them against it. That's their, their job as a lawyer. They were hired that, you know, I personally mm -hmm. wouldn't want to do that, but you know, um, that's their job. But to, to, to even think that you were going to stand up in response to teal ribbons and speak to the, the mm -hmm. crowd and the and live stream and convey something, which clearly was saying, I'm looking to get to the bottom of it and find out what happened and meet out punishment to those who might have done something, you know, mm -hmm. that is not what the law, law firm that he hired, you know, was was there to do. I brought that out uh, to them on the Thursday night to Friday morning. I'd already had a whole entire day of work, but all the way to 530 in the morning, I went, hit the send button, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. and then for Monday morning um, on one hour's notice, I was called in the president's office, called at nine o'clock. The president wants to see you at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm there. We're talking about memes. You know, then I'm called a liar. And it escalates from there. And Tuesday, I was offered severance, and your kids can still come here tuition free. Got to think about the kids. And I said, "There's no way I'm signing an, an, a non-disclosure, guys. I mean, you know, take the 30 pieces of silver and, and and go stick them where the sun doesn't shine. Because I am not signing a non-disclosure and spend the rest of my life waking up remembering what I didn't uh, bear witness about. You know, I'll, I'll go bankrupt before I do that, and I might go bankrupt with my legal fees. Uh, anybody got some grass I can cut this summer? I mean, you know, seriously, but." <laughs> Um, Wednesday, I was terminated. That was that. Bang, bang, bang. And um, they hired an external uh, a PR firm. Uh, Are we going to say who this is? Because Save 71 LU is, is, is reporting that the, the firm they've hired is Kairos, which is Johnny Moore. Johnny Moore used to be, uh, what, chaplain there at Liberty, then went on to found his own PR companies also was uh, the head with with uh, Paula White of the Evangelical Advisory Council. But I know Johnny Moore because he's the one caught on a hot mic with James McDonald. And they're actually joking. This is back when James McDonald sued me um, because simply I was I hadn't published anything at the point he sued me. I was simply looking in, into and investigating allegations of misconduct by him. He hired Johnny to come in, and we have this hot mic recording of them. And, and James McDonald is joking about crude headlines about me having an affair, supposedly, with some CT editor. Um, but then the worst of it is they're joking about putting child porn on the computer of Harold Smith, who at the time was the CEO of Christianity Today. And Johnny Moore laughs along with, with James joking about this. And then at the end says... Uh, when James says he's calling off his plan, he 
Johnny says jokingly, well, if you, if you need somebody else to help you out with that, you know, I know a few other people. I mean, it's, it's shocking to me that this happened. It's shocking to me that Johnny Moore continues to hold any position in evangelicalism after this. But my understanding, and I'm just going to ask you point blank, is it true that Johnny Moore has been hired? You know, I can't be the source on that. I mean, I, I can either confirm or I, the reason being that, that, um, that, you know, there's just, there's just people that work there that, that, uh, um, that I, I don't ever want to say anything that ends up getting them fired. You know, I mean, I was fired. That's my, my business, but, uh, other people are in different situations. So um, I will say this, I've had a mm -hmm. national journalist uh, talk to me about something that she heard because she was going to put me on her show. And she did, you know, Shannon, mm -hmm. Shannon Bream. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and she had heard something from uh, the uh, Liberty University's PR team, you know, external PR team. And, um, you know, I can't, I can't confirm it there. You'll have to confirm it somewhere else. But uh, 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 David Corey puts out certain types of press statements and they're very lawyerly, you know, the ones that have been mm -hmm. put out this week with me, you know, he's looking for his 15 minutes of fame. Honestly, if, if you know me, I, I love to write books for a living. The, the worst part about writing a book, which is why I get co-authors usually that love to be on TV and radio. The worst part about writing a book is you become a public figure every time the mm -hmm. book is released, you know, especially the books I like to write, you know, about public figures. And uh, so if three years, nine months of being at Liberty, we've had lots of people come through here that are famous and I'm standing there talking to them. And all of a sudden I see the photographer getting ready to snap a candid picture. I'm like, excuse me, you know, I just, I get out of this, this screen. It's just not my thing. I, I'd rather be a, 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 a private person. Um, the radio thing was going to be the biggest stretch of my life to go on national radio. And I had to pray about that one for like a year as to whether I actually wanted to do that. But 15 minutes of fame, that's what I'm after, I suppose, is what they said yesterday. Does that sound like Johnny Moore to you? It does not sound like David Corey. And uh, and uh, the, the person, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know who's responsible. I can't confirm who's responsible. For that, but that doesn't sound like David Corey, you know, to sort of, you know, dig into the, the ribs or something like that. That's okay. I mean, there's two types of PR people in the world, uh, you know, uh, people who just say it may take a lot longer uh, to um, get the job done today by just telling the truth. Um, it's a lot more anguishing because sometimes journalists, they don't care about the truth. They're just looking for something, you know, what, not you, of course, but, um, you know, uh, they're, they're, everybody's cynical. They expect there's going to be spin and more spin. I just, I just lead with the truth. Now, in an institution, you're not even always unbound to speak. And so at some point, the silence becomes a complicity and falsehood. Um, and so last year before, I never, don't think I've ever shared this publicly, but last year, um, about two months before, three months before uh, Jerry's resignation, um, I was thinking seriously about having to resign, um, you know, with the KKK mask and the, um, and one just crazy, the, the fights with the New York times. And there wasn't, there wasn't any, um, uh, the blur between work and home became non-existent. So it's seven days a week. Because, you know, a lot of things that Jerry did was on the weekend um, when he had extra time and and um, other stimulants to, you know, provoke him to, you know, do crazy things. So um, anyway, I, I thought about it. I had three kids in the at college at the time. And, uh, and I thought maybe I'm here to, to shape him, you know, guide him. And I, I did a lot of that with with Junior, um, but it became less and less effective. And to the extent that it was less and less effective that, you know, he wasn't you know really listening to the council to to behave um mm -hmm. then i thought i'm just gonna have to probably resign and so i'm having those conversations COVID hits 
lots of stress on everybody. You know, mm -hmm. the kids are all at home 24 seven. Um, and, and other things happened. And, uh, and then, and then one day I'm, I get a call and he's been put on leave three weeks later, he resigns. And I honestly thought that the, uh, the Calvary had arrived, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the instabilities of, of, um, my former uh, boss who I got along with on a personal level, you know, this isn't anything personal, but, mm -hmm. um, I thought the Calvary was arriving. Prevo was the chairman of the board. When everything happened, I mean, can can we possibly believe that he didn't know? Well, then he knows a lot of stuff, and if mm -hmm. he's uh, you know, going to come in and he'll be especially poised to help reform things because he knows so much, or it's the other way around. Um, he knows things, and he was complicit in it, and I well, didn't know which way it was. Let me ask you about the trustees because they're meeting this week, right? They're meeting this next week. I call on them to uh, actually. I, I would like just one thing. I mean, one thing came out of that mm -hmm. meeting that they actually hire Boz Dijikovin and uh, Rachel Denhollander to look into the Title IX. That would just be a first fruit. And maybe a second first fruit would be to re release a, 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 a press statement that says, we will never prosecute somebody for breaking an NDA. You don't have to go back and look at all, all the NDAs and, and one by one contact them. Just say, we, we promise as an institution, we won't, uh, we won't prosecute anybody um, for uh, breaking an NDA. Just those two things alone, you know. Look, how, how can the institution claim that they're they're being non that they're being transparent about things when they won't even tell Julie Royce who their press guy is? I mean, you've been asking for two weeks. Who's the press guy? Who's this press guy that keeps getting quoted? The spokesperson. If you can't even be transparent about who your spokesperson is, you got a problem. Mm. Why? Why can't you tell the world who your spokesperson is? And do you find that the trustees generally know what's going on or? Uh or are independent enough to do anything? I'll answer in the words of Jerry Falwell Jr. And he said this on enough occasions that I can nearly quote it. Well, they're all good people. And they're all, most of them are friends of my dad. I've known them since, they, you know, they've known me since I was a young mm -hmm. kid. Um, I think the world of them, but most of them are, are, are asleep. Most of them are out to lunch, you know, two different metaphors, out to sleep, lunch, whatever. Uh, but most of them are just out to sleep later. Uh, and and they, they, they've been through so much. They saw how we almost went bankrupt all those years. They just thankful that we're not going bankrupt anymore. After all those years of every, every time they get there, it's a gut wrenching. Are we going to go bankrupt between now and the next board trustees meeting? Mm. That was, that was the largest portion of the group. He said, but that doesn't matter. It's the executive committee, but not really the executive committee as a whole, just a few of them. And, and in particular, my boss is Jerry Prebo. And uh, as long as I keep him happy, then I keep the executive committee happy. And that's all that really matters. And then he said, and I'm just lucky that my boss lives in Anchorage, Alaska. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, now most of us would probably like to have a boss that lived in Anchorage, Alaska. This summer, I, I actually would have rather had a boss that didn't live in Anchorage, Alaska during the summer. It would have been nice to have one here in Lynchburg. Um, but, uh, but, you know, all things being equal, most of us, human nature being what it is, we'd rather have somebody not looking over our shoulder. And there's some crazy idea that Sachs doesn't want the board of trustees, the accrediting agency doesn't want the, the uh, board of trustees to be really hyper vigilant. There's also an independent Baptist culture. I understand it well that, that uh, makes fun of Southern Baptists who have pastors who are dominated by their deacons. That's that's the thought. But independent Baptists 
we don't get dominated by our deacons. Thus saith the Lord, the man, you know, don't touch the Lord's anointed. It, there's a culture there. And a lot of these guys are pastors and they've been pastors. And in their own churches, they didn't like to be bossed around by a board. And mm -hmm. Jerry didn't like to be bossed around by a deacon board. Uh, and Jerry Falls Sr. And they all said that it's a joke, you know, deacons. Uh, that's what, you know, Southern Baptists, that's why they had the little small churches. The deacons rule the pastor. And that culture goes into the, I believe the culture goes into the board of trustees. You show up for a lot of years. We're not really here to boss you around. We're just here because the government says you have to have a board of trustees. I'm alleging that that that's not that's not a crime, okay, to have a culture of indifference. Well, they, they do have fiduciary responsibilities. They do have fiduciary responsibilities, and as long as everything's going fine, it's just that when it when the, there's a mission drift, um, mm -hmm. and and the CEO needs to be reprimanded, well, then it becomes a matter of uh, well, who actually is the real functioning board, and it's the executive committee. Well, then you just got to hope. Who's the executive that, committee? There's, it's on the website. I mean, it's, yeah. it starts with Harvey Ganey and Tim Lee and goes down, uh, you know. But those are the ones actually running the university, you say. But as Jerry Jr. said, but not all of the executive committee, just some of them and not really even them. And just, Prevo was on that executive committee. Prevo was the chairman of the executive committee. Right. <laughs> so, um, and that's what I told Baker Tilly, you know, when he said, mm -hmm. well, in addition to Jr., who else was to blame? I said, you mean like, you know, floating around? I mean, like, floating around most of us just kind of did what junior told us to do but if you're talking about like who was oversight overseeing mm -hmm. junior it was the board of trustees specifically the executive committee specifically jerry prevo so if baker tilly finds that liberty university had acted inappropriately that under jerry um there was financial misconduct which there are ample allegations that there was and a lot of evidence it appears that it was that goes back there's no way that jerry prevo himself is not responsible for that because he was the chairman of the board. This is where I'm a, I'm a little bit just uh, puzzled that 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 he hasn't been called more to account for this. Well, as my lawsuit alleges, uh, which I, I need to keep on referring back to the lawsuit, uh, the, mm -hmm. the, that that's where the the the, the muscle is going to come in. The lawsuit alleges that Liberty University has been behaving very badly. Um, at the top levels of leadership. So I'm not trying to implicate one particular person. I'm just saying fiduciary responsibility rests on the board of trustees. There's a great book out there, Mission Drift. I almost treat it like the Bible. It's got all this great anecdotal information from various institutions, even one I, I'm familiar with, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and how that board had, had been wrong, and Al Mulder cleaned it up and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it says it, it, in every every year and every decade, the board either is drifting or they're staying fast. Mm -hmm. And most people think, well, it's the liberal faculty that uh, that determine, you know, we never, don't don't give the the faculty tenure because that's where the liberalism creeps in. You know, I think that's a fruit of mission drift, not the root. I think the root is the book says mission drift. It, it's the board because the board's the one that governs the executive leadership supposed to, mm -hmm. and 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 says in in a, in a Christian institution mm -hmm. says. We need you to hold fast in your soul, not just legally, legalistically speaking, in your soul, actually be attached to Christ, want to do what Christ wants you to do in your soul, executive leadership, which means the board has to do that. Now, what takes you away from those things, many things can take you away from that, but the scripture is pretty clear that the love of money is a root of all evil. And let's just be honest, we've got a lot of money at Liberty University, which is to say that we're really, really good at what we do, which is delivering a product um, that people pay for. In this case, $1 billion a year of federal student loans helps them pay for that. Um, and uh, so we're really good at, at delivering that and, and earning the money. $300 million in profits last year. 
Now, I've been at other institutions um, that have been in existence for 100, 150 years. How much endowment do you have? We're up to $45 million. Wow, that's pretty good. In this other institution, we got 11 million, which really means they're a year or two away from going bankrupt, you know, if they have, mm -hmm. you know, COVID shutdown or something like that. 45 million, that's pretty good. Um, 300 million was added to the endowment last year, right? So my alma mater at Southern Seminary, I think they got like 90 million. They've been in existence since after, since before the Civil War, like 90 million in the bank for endowment um, that they've, they've piled up, you know, nickels and dimes here and there. And we put 300 million last year alone, three times that. Mm -hmm. What gets us to that point? Well, it is a focus. I would allege, as I allege in my lawsuit, mm -hmm. it's a focus on that. It's a focus on the bottom mm -hmm. line. Um, and they're really good at it. There's nothing simple about focus on the bottom line as long as you don't actually lose the actual thing that you were trying to do. And I would allege, and I would, I would talk about it in, in, in a court, um, that in various ways, in various shapes and forms, uh, there is a focus on growing the endowment up to like $6 billion of what the goal was. Um, and, and, um, and, and, that's misplaced. I don't even think Doc Falwell, as much as he was worried about, you know, going out of business, not having enough money, I think you'd say, whoa, 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 that we got enough. Now let's get mm. back to the original stuff here. I'm not saying he walked on water with everything he did and believe, but I, I don't think he would have said, we got 2.3 billion, we need to get to six, and then just pummel things into the ground in a, in a way that drifts from the mission. That's what burns me the most is there's so much resources here that are either going to, if the mission drifts and continues, mm -hmm. be used for not the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ, um, or they can be if we can pivot right now, but it starts with institutional, and I'm not part of the institution, so I can't make any, you know, big plans here, like, you mm -hmm. know, well, this is what we should do, you know, I'm not yeah. in leadership anymore, but um, but we know what, what, when, you know, you look at the seven churches of Revelation, when they're on the wrong side of Jesus, it's always the same words, repent, restore, renew, revive, reconcile, mm -hmm. restitution. I mean, it's, it's, it's all those words, re, bring back to life by doing action verbs that start with the letters R and E, you know, get, mm -hmm. get turned around. Mm -hmm. And this institution can do that. And that's why I say I'm the best friend Liberty University has, because I'm praying to that end. It starts with a very small group of people, though, not the 300,000 alumni. Now, they, they need to put the pressure on, on that, that small group. Um, the smaller group is not going to listen to even a lawsuit if they're told that I'm a disgruntled employee, liberal leftist media, you know, is, is tapping into me and my disgruntledness or something like that, fired for cause, um, you know, all this stuff. They're not going to listen to it, but I, I pray that they will. I pray they will. Last question, and we've already gone over time, and I, you've been very, very generous with me, but I, I just have one question that um, uh, something that you've said to me. Uh, in the past, is that Liberty, there are about 50 employees that just need to go now. And I know one of them, for example, I'm guessing, would be Laura Wallace, who was, uh, she's currently the head of human relations there at Liberty University. She's the cousin of Jerry Falwell uh, Jr. And you even, you know, I don't know if you can recount this story of uh, a time that you were uh, in her office, you she reached around office. without looking at the phone, picked up the phone with one end and pushed a button on a panel with about 20 buttons uh, for the speed dial for Jerry to, to get his authorization or or not on something that I was talking to her about. And I'm thinking, wow, the, you know, so to to connect that to what I said about 50 people and you go, look, I, I need to stick with the claims in the lawsuit. That's, you know, there's systemic problems. I don't need to focus on one in particular person. I'll let the board 
you know, start fixing things and, and hopefully that'll start right at the very, very top. Um, and it, it, that would start in executive leadership. Uh, but for years, the LUPD uh, um, reported directly to Laura Wallace and, um, and, and during so many of these cases, it reported directly to Laura Wallace. Um, Title IX violation uh, cases, sex assault. I, I, Some of them don't, don't like that euphemism. Title IX violations. No, it's sex assault. Okay, let's just let's just call rape it. Rape in many cases. Sex, sex harassment, sex assault, rape. Um, so they report her. I'm not making an allegation against her on any of that. I'm just saying, can we get to the bottom of of what happened? Um, is it you know the documents are there? I don't you know. Uh, can we get to the bottom of of what actually happened in just the cases that have emerged, let alone other ones that people had 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 something happen but they're never going to come up forth about it and and i understand that their pain is too you know too much and they've got you know they just don't have clearance in their heart to do so um but yeah you know when you're head of the hr and uh and and those groups report to you, lupd security that kind of thing and you report directly to the to, to jerry Falwell jr now, he called me last week i i heard that in one of your other interviews yeah and he said that uh he was always kept in the dark about Title IX, that it just went right to David Corey and David Corey to the board. Uh, it, it, Jerry Falwell Jr. is on the emails that I published of Jane Dotes, too. He's on numerous emails. He was the point person. I don't know how he can say that. I said, that's not true. <laughs> I said, that's not true, you know, but. Uh, and Jonathan Falwell, who's currently the the chaplain there, um, he was copied. Not He was uh, sent directly, not just copied on some of them. Uh, and I've published those as well. Uh, he says he doesn't remember ever getting them, but he, neither one of them can say they weren't. And jo and Jerry Falwell responded to numerous ones. Yeah. Well, there's some explaining to do, you know? Yes, there is. And I, I pray that, uh, it, I would, can you imagine if we wake up uh, a week from Saturday when the board is heading back out of town or Friday night when they're heading back out of town and a press release comes out from Liberty University that says, uh, we have um, hired in a very independent way, but you know, for her time, her time is worth something. She's got a family. We've hired Rachel Denhollander, and we've hired Boz, who was a law professor here until just a couple of years ago. I mean, Boz, just get back up to Lynchburg. We need your help forming a task committee that basically has one function, to hire a third party and then oversee them for us, oversee that third party investigation for us, mm -hmm. and then report, say this on day one, report back all findings in a public document, a document that we made public, mm -hmm. you know, do it. That's what Bob Jones University did, surprisingly, it did with the grace. I'm not one who just wants to burn money, but this isn't burning money. This is making restitution, it, it, you know, and, and it's not hush money. It's not paying them up to, to put them under NDA. It's, mm -hmm. it's bringing it to the light. And, and then when you find, if you find something, then just institutionally say, we, we've done things wrong. And uh, and to the extent that I've I've ever been a part uh, or perceived to be a part of a, a conspiracy of silence, you know, I confess that to before God. I I know in my heart where I was at various stages of not knowing things and then knowing things and then as soon as you know some things, timers are ticking. Uh, you know, if you ever watch these movies where a, a guy is undercover as a drug agent, he goes home at night and he's he's himself. And he's talking to his wife, he's talking to his best friend over a beer, and he says, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I mean, like, you know, you bump into people that you know, and they they think you're some evil monster now, you know. There is a real reality of that, and there's some people on the inside right now that that feel that same way. They're like, look, the timer's ticking. Um, how much longer can I go? Hoping, of course, that the, I think they were hoping, like me, that the investigation was actually going to blow some things open, and we could get get beyond these things. 
that's still possible. That's still possible. I talked to a, a somebody uh, texted me last night who's who's uh, on the board. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying not to have any contact with the institution, right? You know, I'm in a legal mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But they said I'm praying for you. I'm like, well, you know, pray that 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 real repentance and reconciliation can happen. I mean, this is a Christian institution. I'm a Christian. It's not about my lawsuit. Let's not fixate on my 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 one little man's lawsuit. That's not what this is really about. Think about the big picture. Keep your eye on the ball when you go into that board meeting next week. I said because things can actually change uh, if the institution wants them to. Think about how wonderful that would be in the year of Jubilee uh, to actually say, well, that was where we pivoted away from things that had been built and created, systems that have been built and created. I pray that happens. Julie, I've taken enough of your time. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to your audience today. Thank you, Scott. I I really appreciate you talking to me. And and again, I've taken more time than than we had anticipated at the beginning, but I do appreciate it. And... uh, I just pray that truth and justice will be served in the end. I ask your audience to to pray for Liberty University. Pray for Liberty University, please. You know, it needs it. Well, thank you. And thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. If you'd like to find me online, just go to Julie Roy's, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. That's Julie Roy's dot com. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or now on Spotify. That way you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, we'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and then sharing this podcast on social media. Again, thanks so much for joining me. Hope you have a great day and God bless.